When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Three Technique, the college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Fellas, we were just discussing a number of things, all things Big 12 here right before we hit record. And tonight is our first episode in the Big 12 previews. We're going to be doing Iowa State and all the Texas teams uh, here in this first part of the preview. But before we get to all of that, I just had a random thought. If you are going to re, you know, like retail therapy, if you're going to shop for something to just to just go for it, what is your go-to retail therapy? <laughs> Not everybody at once. Am I the only one that has some <laughs> little vice here? I mean, maybe not mini helmets. Um, it's <laughs> I like a good mini helmet as much as the next guy, but guys, we might be intervening in Mitch's life here a little bit. Uh, make sure he doesn't spend his entire income on mini helmets here. Yeah, Covenant Eyes is uh, going to get d- oh downloaded on Mitch's phone, but it's going to be for mini helmet shopping. Um, I don't know. I like I like to online window shop sometimes. Maybe if it's golf stuff or. I'm more of a vacation window shopper. Like I'll I'll just get on Southwest and see where I could fly for <laughs> 200 bucks and just think about what I would do in a different city. But yeah, don't worry about actually spending money when you're there. Just how much money to get somewhere and come back, right? Yeah, I mean, when when COVID was, you know, this maybe wasn't the smartest thing to do, but when COVID was kind of a little bit more of a big deal, I found a one day round trip to Nashville for like 90 bucks. And so I just flew to Nashville and spent an afternoon in Nashville and it was a great time. So I guess travel bug and my shopping impulse buy. That's, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, currently my vice and I, I look, I've talked about this. I've tweeted about it. I've got a nice little pod background going a little office background, uh, filling it up with Mini helmets, which has been something that I've collected since I was a little kid. Uh, but yes, being an adult with disposable income ramps that uh, that bug back up. And so, <laughs> you know, one or two tabs uh, open on my desktop right now may be dedicated to that. But uh, <laughs> not to make that about me was really trying to get some interesting nuggets out of you guys. And, also, uh, steep hey. and cheap. Steep and Cheap is a great website where you can spend a lot of money you don't need to spend. It is discount outdoors gear. That's a fun one. 
Oh, so there you, go. there you go. I'll give you your content, Mitch. <laughs> it is it is way too hot to be thinking about doing anything outdoors other than floating down the river right now. Um, speaking of floating down the river, I guess if I want to segue, uh, state of Texas is is needing some water right now, and uh, we're gonna try and not be a bucket of cold water on the Big Twelve, specifically the Texas teams. Uh, as we were looking through some of these conference predictions that we put together, fellas, we're not exactly the highest on this group of teams that we're going to preview here tonight. I might be a little bit higher on some of them uh, rather than others, and uh, I certainly will be putting up a passionate defense for why I think the Baylor Bears are going to repeat as, as conference champions. Um, but before we get to all of that, as always, head over to Spotify, to Apple. If you have not listened to uh, all of the podcasts so far, we've obviously just come through the Big Ten, most recently the ACC before that in our conference preview series. If you're new to the channel, welcome. First of all, uh, thank you so much for stopping by. Head over to the channel, give us a rating, give us a review, uh, and let us know what you think of the uh, the first few episodes that you've listened to. If you haven't found us on our socials, at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also write into the Gmail, 3TechPod at gmail.com if you so choose. But fellas, without any further delay, it's time to get into the Big 12. And Trey, you're up first with last year's reigning champion, the Baylor Bears. Let's go up I-75, or I should say down I-35 uh, I to Waco. Yeah, just half this conference is in the I-35 corridor. so. You can't go wrong. You just got to make sure you're going north or south. We'll go south for this one from where we're at. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the Baylor Bears. Like Mitch said, um, conference champions a year ago, kind of out of the blue, definitely not something that most of the experts were predicting going into the season. But because of that, all's well in that land of shiplap and silo selfies down there on the Brazos. So Dave Aranda had an abysmal, 2020 debut uh in the covid season it was a weird time to become a new coach at a program admittedly but all that's behind them the bears burst onto the scene going 12 and 2 they won their first big 12 title since 2014 they beat Ole miss in the sugar bowl which was their first win in a current new year's six bowl since the 1979 peach bowl so it's been a long time since the program saw the success that they saw last year um it might be uh, a huge testament to Aranda's growth as a head coach, but um, what 2020 would be is an even greater testament to just the confidence they have in him and Waco. He was, we talked about this with a lot of coaches so far in our preview series, but he's another one that signed a massive extension to be in Waco for the long haul. And lots of people down there are really excited to see what he can do from a program building standpoint. Obviously, this is his first chance at being a, a, a big-time head coach, and so far, so good. Um, last year, six players were drafted. That was the most in the state of Texas and tied for seventh most in the nation. But when you have that much talent drafted, of course, the next year, it's going to be a big test to see if you can reload that talent. If it was a peak year and you have to rebuild back up to that, or if you just reload and get going right back where you left off. So... Um, guys like Jalen Petrie, um, other guys on their defense, it's going to be huge test to see how they can replace those guys. And Aranda's been really open 
about this team for 2022 possibly struggling a little bit with maturity. They're way younger than they were last year, but they're really, really talented. Um, so, again, if a, can a really young, really talented, but well-coached team run it back? That's the big question for the Baylor Bears this year. And holy cow, guys, if you want to talk about questions, I give you Exhibit A, the Baylor Bears offense. So this is maybe the most head-turning move across the conference this offseason. Dave Aranda and company decided to name the 2021 backup, Blake Shapin, the starter over a guy that would have returned to be the starter in Gary Bohannon. So Shapin looked solid in his action. Bohannon got hurt at the end of last year. So Shapin came in. He beat Kansas State in relief. He started against Tech and against Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game, beat both of those teams. And he moved the offense really well. He looked comfortable. He looked like he could provide maybe a higher ceiling. That's definitely what Jeff Grimes and Dave Aranda think. They think that he's going to take their offense to a new level, something that um, they didn't really have under Bohannon. So really what they need to do is just play better complementary football. So Baylor was definitely a defensive-led team last year. They had a lot of talent on offense, and they had a lot of really good production, especially in their run game. But they were definitely a defensively-led team. You see all the talent that went to the NFL. All the statistics point to that. So really what they're looking for in Shapin is can that offense burst through the ceiling? Can they be the side of the ball that leads the team and just takes this to another level? If you can have the offense and the defense working together, that's obviously way better than just having to rely on your defense mostly to pull out wins. But it's still a bold move to say thanks but no thanks uh Gary Bohannon we don't really want you to come back is basically what they said he's a guy that led them to nine wins last year and so there's a lot of teams in the country that would be crawling over glass to have a returning quarterback that led them to nine wins a year ago so it's a bold move um that's the call that elite coaches have to make and you can see examples of it working out but you can also Definitely envision a scenario where you look back at that as a very interesting decision um, at the end of the year. The good news for Blake Shapin, though, is he will have four of the five returning starters on the O-line. Um, between that and a strong tight end room, uh, the guy that is the leading returner in receptions, Ben Sims, returns at tight end. That's going to be the strength of this offense up front on the offensive line and the tight end position. Beyond that, there's a lot of questions and a ton of production that you got to replace at the skill position. So Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner were absolutely dynamic in the backfield last year. They made the offense go. They combined for almost 2,800 all-purpose yards. Both those guys are gone. So the direct quote from uh, Grimes to the athletic was, at the running back position, nobody has really stepped forward yet and said, I'm the guy and this is my job. That doesn't give me a ton of confidence going into fall camp. You still have time. You still can get that going, but not what you want to hear when you need to replace all that production. But they do have some options. So the leading returning rusher is Tay McWilliams. He did only have 17 carries in 2021. I hope this guy gets a ton of action. His name's Craig Williams. He's 5'8 and 173 pounds. They call him Squirrel. Um, obviously, Which if you spell that. Spell that for the audience. <laughs> yeah, so in print, uh, S-Q-W-I-R-L. So I don't think an English major came up with that nickname, but it looks cool. It looks cool. It certainly makes you and question the standards of Baylor's academics. 
Well, you know, that's a hard word to spell. I'll give him. I, I would need spell. Yeah, Garrett, spell, spell squirrel for us live on the podcast. Here we go. <laughs> I'm waiting. Go ahead, Garrett. Oh wait, are we actually doing this? Yes, spell squirrel. Uh, Don't look it up. U U I R R E L. Is it two R's or one L? Right? Is it two no, R's? It's, one. It's, it's it's two R's and and one L, isn't it? It's two R's, one L's, right? Yeah. This is what riveting the stuff come here. here. For, right. The this is what meeting. you come here for. Here this on the three tech like, I wanted to see if you could do it. I'd never would have thrown a W into Squirrel. I'm just going <laughs> to put also, it's, it's also safe to follow all your cues with U's. Um, but <laughs> anyways, uh, so Squirrel Williams, he, he's a guy that they're really excited about, just bringing a lot of athleticism. Josh Fleeks moved over from wide receiver to kind of provide some depth. And they signed a three-star freshman, Richard Reese, out of a guy from my neck of the woods growing up, Belleville. Shout out to the Brahmas. Uh, the Pasture of Pain is their home stadium. So. <laughs> a little bit of fun Texas high school trivia there. Um, but yeah, that quote just really concerns me. No one's really stepped up yet and said, I'm the guy, this is my job. They got to figure that out um, because that's what made the offense go last year. And it's the same issue at wide receiver. Uh, Tyquan Thornton is a New England Patriot. Uh, their second leading receiver, RJ S- uh, Sneed, transferred to Colorado. Their leading uh, returner in yards at wide receiver is Josh Fleeks, the guy I just mentioned moving to running back. Um, this is a scary stat if you're a Bears fan. Uh, Hal Presley is the leading returner in production who's still a wide receiver. Here's a stat line from last year. One reception for 15 yards. That's his uh, production. That is 15 ago. yards per catch, though. It is very high yard per catch ratio, but <laughs> I think you'd want to have a little bit more returning production there. Um, so yeah, hope is going to almost completely rest on their four-star freshman, Armani Winfield. Huge blue chip recruit. It was a huge win for the Bears, getting the guy out of Louisville. I think he could be the Big 12 freshman of the year, just kind of by default, because it's got to be him. It's going to rest on him. They need him to step up really quickly. If he's not ready then they're going to look to a bunch of guys who haven't really done it. Mitch was kind of describing it this way before we hit record. They're a veteran team in the sense that they've been on campus for a long time, but these are guys that haven't really gotten a lot of game action in meaningful situations. So I'm talking six. Yeah. And so we're talking six years that battle injuries. We're talking former walk-ons. Those type of guys would have to step up if Winfield isn't ready to take control of that receiver room. But, Good news as you shift over to defense is, yes, they're losing a lot of talent. Yes, they had some of the best defenders in school history drafted last year. There's a lot of returning production there as well. So the entire D-line too deep is back. Uh, They ranked 15th in the country in sacks and 17th in tackle for loss last year. Um, And they also added Jackson Player, who had 14 tackles for loss by himself. He transfers in from Tulsa. Um, That's going to be a huge boost to that D-line rotation. They really want to rotate through six to eight guys on the inside D-line. They kind of run a three-down front a lot of times with those high-powered offenses in the Big 12. They want to rotate. They want to get a lot of guys in there so they're not tired by the end of the year. They have a hybrid uh, position called Jack that's kind of an edge. Um, They basically have two starters returning. Garmon Randolph was last year's starter, but it's only because Tony Aniwanu was uh, hurt before the season, had foot surgery and sidelined. So... Got a lot of production there. I'm interested to see if they can find ways to get both of those guys on the field. Um, at linebacker, uh, Terrell Bernard 
was uh, picked in the second round. He has to be replaced. Matt Jones played in all 14 games last year. He looks to be the guy that's going to step up and fill that. And the good news is that their second leading tackler, Dylan Doyle, is back at middle linebacker. They also brought in um, Josh White, who was a four-star guy who committed to LSU originally. He's in as a transfer. So lots of talent that they're filling the position with there. And the secondary, though, is going to be the biggest question mark. Um, it was an all-time unit last year. I mentioned Jalen Petrie. He was drafted in the second round. Um, safety JT Woods was drafted in the third. Cornerback uh, Kalen Barnes was in the seventh. And Petrie played uh, the position that Baylor calls star. It's kind of a hybrid outside linebacker nickel that they kind of move around the defense. Finding a guy to fill that position is going to be absolutely crucial. And when you look at the guys that they have, they want to fill that role first, and then it's going to kind of dictate where everybody else fills in on that secondary. So I could read you a bunch of names, but it's really not decided yet. Whoever they find to fill that star position is going to dictate where they plug in everybody else in that back line. So when you put all that together, um, I was really surprised. You look at their floor and ceiling, just in a vacuum, when I saw that their over-under was seven and a half, I was shocked by that. Um, I was like, you need to go find a way to hammer the over on this one. But when you dive into that offense, they've really got to find a lot of replacement production or it could get really ugly trying to keep up with these other high-powered offenses in the Big 12. You don't want to get into a shootout if you can't keep up, right? So I think defense absolutely carries them to a bowl at worst. Um, that's their absolute floor is still making a bowl. Um, and their ceiling, if everything clicks on the offense and if Shapin is really that guy to take them to the next level, yeah, they can absolutely get back to the Big 12 title game and anything is possible from there. But man, they really need to get that offense looking good quickly. If nothing clicks, if no one steps up, if Armani Winfield's not ready, I don't know. You, you could see them really struggling against some of these better offenses, but their danger zone. I look at weeks 9 through 11. Uh, they've got a stretch with two road games at Tech and at Oklahoma back-to-back. -back. I think Lubbock is just always a really tricky place to play. Oklahoma obviously is looking at being one of the better teams in the conference. And then they come back home week 11 to play Kansas state. Um, so spoiler alert, those are the two teams uh, that I have Oklahoma and Kansas state. I have Oklahoma finishing first in the conference. I have Kansas state finishing third. So two games against the top half or top third of the big 12. And then one, a tricky road game at Lubbock, not a great way to end the season as you're trying to make that push to the championship. Listen, listen, I hear you. I totally understand where you're coming from. <laughs> but I'm going to need you to play the hype train sound for me. Your Honor, uh, the prosecution has made a compelling <laughs> case for why the Baylor Bears will not win the Big 12 championship. Here's why I believe that they will. And I cannot believe that I'm a Baylor apologist right now, but... The reason that they told Gary Bohannon, hey man, we're going to have you ship off to South Florida, was specifically because of the past completion percentage. They talked about that at Media Days where, you know, look, credit to some of the ESPN staff for asking guys like Dylan Doyle and, and the offensive guys, hey, like what, what, what happened there? Like why did Dave Aranda go ahead and name a starting quarterback after spring ball? And they said, you know, that's kind of what, 
everybody was hoping that he would do to give whoever the backup was going to be a chance to evaluate their other option and go play as a starting quarterback. Because everyone said, hey, look, we've got two starting quarterbacks in this room. Shapin is certainly the much more accomplished passer. He doesn't have the reps in games uh, that that Bohannon does. But you know, I think Gary was completing passes at like a 65% clip. And I want to say Shapin was completing it at or north of 70%. And that continued. Well, and if you look at Bohannon's splits too, it was most of that production came in the non-conference games and the lower yeah. half of the conference. When he when they played yeah. the top half of the Big Twelve, yeah, it was a noticeable dip in production for Bohannon. So yeah, yeah, th- there was definitely a ceiling to their offense under Bohannon. Now you know, as far as production goes, no doubt Baylor's going to have to find new guys to do it. You know, Tay McWilliams is a very talented running back. I think they're going to like what they have in him, but. You know, Tristan Ebner and and Abram Smith were the guys. Like you said, they they didn't rotate in a lot of other backs because they didn't need to. They had a, as dynamic a one-two punch as anyone in the conference did. Out wide, sure, I'll give you that, that to you. It's a little concerning. Now, it's a lot of guys that have been on campus, like you said, for a long time and just have been shelved because you, you had guys that were, were positioned ahead of them, um, you know, Guys that that ultimately got drafted, like Tyquan Thornton. Why R.J. Sneed transferred to Colorado, I don't fully understand that. I remember when he announced that, and I was going, really? The the team that got 30-pieced by Minnesota at home and didn't score a single point? That's where you're going? So, uh, you know, maybe he's got a chance to truly be a focal point there. Uh, You know, Jared Broussard has transferred out, so who knows? Maybe Colorado is (laughs) going to have to rely on the passing game as opposed to a rush-heavy offense last season. I do like what they bring back on the offensive line where it's five seniors across the board. And I think two of them are, are six year seniors. So it's a group that's been together for half a decade and uh, you know, they're, they're big. They're as big an offensive line as you're going to find in the conference. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of unknowns, but when I look around the conference and I mean, we're going to discuss this with, with all the other teams, so I won't get bogged down here. I think there are the same kind of crucial questions at the top of the conference that you have with Baylor. So Oklahoma, which we'll talk about next episode, where is their production coming from, right? Yeah, I mean, like, that's absolutely true. Literally, their coaching staff at Media Days was like, yeah, we had like 40 guys who put on a Sooner shirt for the first time this offseason, uh, you know, and, and need to buy into the culture and need to figure out what they're going to do from an offensive standpoint. So anyway, all that to say, as we're projecting forward, and there is no doubt that our projections are not going to be perfect. I still think that Baylor and Oklahoma state are maybe just a smidge above everyone else. Now, OU and and Texas are right there and maybe even Kansas state if they get hot, but I love what Dave Aranda has done. And I think he's building something repeatable down in Waco. So you know, when I look at it, I, I certainly jump aboard the hype train. I do not fault anyone for not coming along with me because it, it is a little bit of a leap of faith. But anyway, that's that's kind of my case for Baylor. You're right that he's making something repeatable. I just don't know that it repeats this year. You know, last year, I think the offenses in the Big 12 struggled a lot more just across the board. Obviously, there were some good ones, but I don't think offenses were as good as they have been in the past in this conference. And with that, they had a really good defense that finished 10th in scoring. So 
I think that's something that you have to look at as kind of the key stat there. I don't really think this rests on Baylor's offense all that much. They were a pretty pedestrian offense. It wasn't anything terrible, but just not exactly a group of world beaters last year. Um, and it, it was really their defense that did most of the heavy lifting. But when you lose as many guys as they did, especially some of the playmakers and some of the leadership that they did on that defensive side in the secondary specifically, I just, I don't know that they can repeat with as good as the offenses I think are going to be this year. I think the offenses are going to be taking a step forward while Baylor's taking a step backwards on defense. I, I think they're going to be good. I haven't picked to go nine and three right now. So I think that they're going to be just fine. I just don't know that that's good enough to repeat in the year where I think the offenses in this conference are going to get really good. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm the lowest then I have them at eight and four. Um, but yeah, not not a huge step back, and I don't think eight and four this year would be cause for concern for Dave Aranda's future there. At Certainly all. not. But yeah, I, I just think it's an uphill battle. I think, I mean, you think about going to Tech with their new look offense, it's going to score a lot of points. Like, yep. if Baylor is struggling to find production, that could get out of hand really quickly. And I could name you like three or four teams that they won't lose to all of those teams, but the odds are that one of those just gets out of hand just from a statistical standpoint so right yeah i'm not i'm not saying baylor's gonna be back in the depths of the early 2000s or anything like that but (laughs) yeah just maybe a slight step back this year for the bears big 12 is gonna be fun Uh, i think that was why we were so excited to get to this this preview session uh now a team that may not have nearly as much fun as everyone else uh if it goes the way that i think it might is iowa state i've got their preview um, first of all, we need to pour one out in memory of Brocktober. Uh, Brock Purdy has finally departed Ames for the NFL. I believe he was signed an undrafted free agency deal with the 49ers. He was Mr. Irrelevant. Oh, he you're was, right. he was drafted Mr. very last. That's right. Uh, so gone, but certainly not forgotten. Uh, Brocktober had, you know, listen, Brocktober had its ups and downs. Uh, I think we had some, some very high highs and some also very low lows. Um, also gone are workhorse runner Brees Hall, pass catcher Charlie Kohler, and Chase Allen, their dynamic tight ends, and All-American linebacker Mike Rose. So a lot, a lot departs from Iowa State. These guys were absolute legends of the program. Uh, all of these guys will be remembered very fondly uh, with, with Cyclone fans. Campbell has built one of the best locker rooms in America, and not that that's going to be tested this next season, but the guys that he truly relied on to kind of lay that foundation, they've moved on. And it was, it's the most talented class that Iowa State has ever sent uh, off campus is now gone. So, you know, he's loved by his players. He's loved by his fan base. But I do wonder what happens if the road gets a little rocky this year. 2021 wasn't the culmination that everyone was hoping for. If you remember after a nine-win season, an appearance in the Big 12 championship game in 2020 against OU, and then a Fiesta Bowl win over Oregon, a lot of people were picking the clones to go you know, 10-2, 11-1. I mean, everyone was saying, hey, we got everybody back. This is the year to, to go win a Big 12 championship game. And instead, you got a really frustrating 7-5 and five season uh, full of one-score losses that just haunted Cyclones fans all season long. I believe all five of their losses were were one-score affairs, so just super, super disappointing. Um, you know, so many legends are, are gone from from this team, so all eyes are, are really seeing what, what Campbell does next. 
offensively, he's got his quarterback, and I think that's a major plus. Hunter Deckers has already staked his claim to the starting job after Purdy left uh, with 32 school records under his arm. Uh, just an incredible work of, uh, well, slate of work that, that Purdy's leaving with. So Deckers takes over. The sophomore Southpaw set the state record, high school record for passing yards in a career with 10,628 yards and passing touchdowns with 128. He's got the frame for collegiate football. He's 6'3", 235, cannon for an arm. Uh, and in case you missed it, he is a lefty, uh, which I think is going to catch catch attention of, of everyone across the country. You just don't see that many lefties, lefty quarterbacks in college football. Coaching staff. a good lefty quarterback. It's, they're fun to watch. They're, they're fun to it, – it's – it's different. It's just very, very different to see the game flipped as opposed to you know every every right-handed quarterback that we see. Uh, coaching staff is on his side. They're already praising his work ethic and study habits, but admittedly are maybe a little bit concerned about what it's going to look like when Decker steps out to play in front of you know seventy thousand plus. That's hard to prepare for in advance. Uh, he's got all the tools to succeed, but you know with this schedule twenty twenty two, honestly. Could be a bit of a season of hard knocks. Uh, in the backfield, it's Jarrell Brock, who's the heir apparent to Brees Hall. Hall was so essential since his debut in 2019 that his 800 touches were the most in FBS, nearly 200 touches ahead of second place, which was Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M. Iowa State's offense was Brees Hall. Brees, Hall's, uh, Brees Hall was Iowa State's offense. There was... No separation between the two. So the Cyclones really do have to find kind of a new identity. Uh, Brock was a a more highly rated prospect when he arrived on campus, but his only starting experience was from the Cheez-It Bowl last season against Clemson when Brees sat out. Staff's definitely confident that his skill set will translate to an every down back. But, you know, again, being asked to to tote the rock and, and carry the ball potentially on three downs, on all three downs, is uh, certainly quite the ask. Eli Sanders is a redshirt freshman who's lightning quick. He'll be the primary change of pace back. Um, and, you know, to to his credit, Matt Campbell has recruited his tail off at Iowa State since he got there. He believes he's got the most talented stable of running backs uh, since he's been there. So certainly hope for Iowa State. You know, my, my feeling is it, it might just be hope this year. I don't know that you're going to see uh, just a, a ton of on-field results, but we'll see. Xavier Hutchinson is back for a super senior season out wide. He's six foot three, 210 pounds. No doubt he's going to have to be the security blanket for Deckers this year. He caught 83 passes for nearly 1,000 yards and five scores uh, a season ago. At slot, they've got Jalen Knoll. He's a speedster who also handles their punt and kick duties. Um, you know, Matt Campbell mentioned that they have a healthy competition taking place amongst really three or four other guys for the remaining spots, including Colorado transfer Dimitri Stanley. So pay attention for his name. Optimism abounds on the offensive line, and that may be their strongest returning spot on the offense. They've got senior Trevor Downing, who slides inside to own the center spot after starting at right guard all last year. Daryl Simons and Jared Hufford are also back. They're shuffling around the line, so they'll play uh, the guard positions. The tackles are the two question marks, but they've got guys that they believe they'll find ways to to kind of get the jigsaw pieces to fit together. So, you know, arguably your, your two most important, uh, or at least one of your most important 
positions in that right tackle spot for, for Decker since he's a lefty, protecting his blind side. Still up for grabs, but the interior should be really strong. Defensively, uh, this Clones team has to replace the vast majority of their production as well. Uh, formerly one of the most consistent units over the last several years. Look, holes abound in 2022. Will McDonald the fourth is back at edge. Uh, which will be a major positive. He had 14 sacks last season, which led the Big 12 and earned him uh, first-team All-American honors. MJ Anderson transfers in from Minnesota to compete for the nose tackle in the base package, which is a 3-3-5 system. Uh, really, I think what you're going to see a lot of the Big 12 schools run this season. Cyclones lost two starting linebackers to the NFL, but they're going to rely on Orion Vance at the inside backer spot to lead the squad in 2022. He's also joined by Delaware Blue Hens transfer Colby Reeder to start at one of the outside backer positions. Reeder has the size and the speed to not only play D1 college football at the, the highest level, but also maybe to be an NFL linebacker. And he's already in one offseason drawing comparisons to Mike Rose, who's been their best linebacker for several years before he went to the draft. Um, so, you know, Campbell's really, really, really thrilled there. Secondary was absolutely obliterated from a season ago. Thanks to the transfer portal, uh, in no small part, the clones lost starting defensive backs to Ole Miss, Duke, and Auburn throughout the offseason and really had to scramble during spring ball to kind of rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Uh, they've got Anthony Johnson Jr., who's sliding from corner to safety just literally to provide someone with experience at the free position. Uh, he's going to play next to sophomore Bo Freiler. So the safety's probably set, but really no starting experience there. Another sophomore, Malik Verdon, earned spring ball MVP at safety. So how he figures into the mix, maybe as the nickelback, we'll have to wait and see. At cornerback, literally nobody worth naming right now. It's a host of bodies competing for two starting spots. Like I mentioned, the nickel is in flux. You've got some talented safeties, so do you slide one down? Do you spin a guy back to corner as the season goes along? It, it really is uh, all in flux there in the secondary for the clones. And, you know, past happy Big 12, I think there's going to be a number of starting lineup changes throughout the season. Look, when, when, you're, when your secondary is, is full of holes, it's tough to feel confident in your defense. It doesn't matter how well you stop the run. If they're able to complete whatever they want through the air – that's demoralizing as a defense. So Campbell really has it all to do there um, to, to stop the pass this season. Floor ceiling, uh, the over-under provided by Bet Online, again, not a sponsor, absolutely could be, is six and a half for the clones. And, you know, I'll say this, it's a very tasty line, depending on what you feel about Iowa State. I could certainly see going over if you think that they get the defense together. I myself am, am going under. Uh, I'm going to predict the, the clones to go five and seven. Ceiling for me is probably eight and four if they beat Iowa, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Those are all teams that I have them losing to uh, for one reason or another. I don't think the floor is much below five and seven, uh, but I'm maybe lower on the clones than most. Really, Trey, for the same reasons that you're low on Baylor, I think I'm very, very questioning the Iowa State's ability to compete this year. If you hit the danger zone, sound for me. Clones have two crucial stretches this season, but before their bye week is, I think, going to define where the program is. Week four versus Baylor, week five at Kansas, week six versus Kansas State, week seven at Texas. Uh, the only 
you know, penciling in win there is against Kansas. I, they've got to find a way to go two and two there. Uh, I really do believe if they want any chance at, at going to a bowl game, they've got to find a way to either knock off, you know, maybe maybe Kansas State at home. They host Baylor. Ames can be a weird place to play there at Jack Trice Stadium. So they need to go two and two in that stretch. Um, you know, would, would love to know, are you guys a lot higher on Iowa State than I am? No, I'm not really higher on them. I think I'm probably lowest out of the group. Um, I think I picked them if I'm checking right. Yeah, I picked them to go three and nine. It just kind of feels like they missed a window. You know, it kind of feels like they had some guys on campus who had figured out the program, figured out the culture, figured out what they needed to do um, to be successful and just, I mean, didn't put it together. Couldn't figure out a way to get it to all fit together. And so kind of feels like a rebuild, so to speak. Kind of feels like they got to kind of you know, figure out new pieces who are going to come in before they can get back to being competitive again. Now, I do think they'll find a way to do that because I think Campbell's a great coach, but I, I just don't see a way that this year is going to be too good for him. Yeah, I what I said about Baylor was they kind of – you wouldn't necessarily call Baylor a reload, like a true, like, oh, we're filling four and five stars with four and five stars, like you see some programs do, but – the reason I'm higher on Baylor than I am on Iowa state as they're both kind of facing similar production situations is one, they've got a guy with a lot of starting experience at quarterback, even two games is a huge deal. And in Baylor and two, it just seems like Baylor is replacing they're They're having a higher level of talent, fill those gaps. And so one thing that is encouraging for me if I'm Iowa State is they haven't just been recruiting duds. Like you mentioned, Mitch, Campbell's been recruiting his tail off up there, yeah. and they're going to have some talent. I'm really excited to see this duo of Deckers and Brock. I think that could be a really exciting duo. I think they could jump up and surprise some people. I don't think it's this year, though. I think they're going to take their lumps this year. I think they're building, they're, they're, they're building in a sustainable way, but that's going to involve taking some more lumps this year than maybe Baylor is as they are tearing down a bit too. Yeah. It seems like Iowa state's kind of in a position where, you know, next year when we do these previews, we're going to say something like, Oh, they had a lot of players show flashes, but they need to put it together this year. You know, that's kind of what it feels like we'll be saying in a year's time from here where we're going to see some good performances. We're going to see some guys start to kind of find their footing and play really well. Just don't think it comes together for them this year. So naturally, of course, Iowa State is about to go nine and three, and maybe win the Big Twelve. Uh, Make us look <laughs> dumb, clones. I would love it. That's right. All right, Trey, you've uh, you've been waiting patiently to to jump in here on the Big Twelve. You've got TCU, a program that is uh, just down the road from us. Also I'm actually going to pass it over to Garrett because he has uh, TCU. Definitely meant to say Garrett, not Trey. <laughs> uh, Garrett has been waiting patiently. Pretend I didn't say that. All good, man. No problem. Uh, No, but, uh, you know, over here, TCU, Fort Worth, Texas. So got to shout out my Tarrant County one more time. Uh, Yeah, Sonny Dykes made the short trip across town, uh, was over at SMU. Now he's heading over to TCU. Uh, But it's a whole new situation with a whole new set of challenges for him. Uh, Former head guy uh, replacing Gary Patterson. He had a kind of unfortunate end to a very successful 21-year run at TCU. Uh, Just kind of fizzled and then quit. And now, obviously, he's at Texas, so kind of looks like that might have been what his plan was there for a minute. But 
Uh, Dykes has been really good his last few stops, including reviving an SMU program who's now in a really good position to move up in the next phase of conference realignment whenever that happens. Um, but now he's taking over a new situation in Fort Worth. Uh, TCU is looking to reload and be one of those programs that's ready to vie for power once Texas and Oklahoma leave the conference. Uh, Dykes certainly isn't working from scratch, and he's going to try to capitalize on the good that Patterson had in the program, a lot of that toughness, uh, that firm mentality they had there. Uh, but he's looking to bring kind of some fresh ideas and take the Horn Frogs from being sort of an outside threat where they've been sitting for a couple of years to try to bring them up and be a power in the conference. Uh, one way he's going to do that is bringing in his offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley. He's coming over from SMU as well. And that's huge given the fact that the Ponies had the 10th ranked scoring offense at 38.4 points per game. Uh, Riley's been really optimistic about the group that he has to work with, but he's got a lot of questions to answer if he's going to replicate that success over at TCU. TCU last year finished at a very pedestrian 66th in scoring, uh, so definitely need to take that step up. First question, of course, who's the starting quarterback? You've got uh, Max Dugan. He's put up 6,000 passing yards. 41 touchdowns in three years at TCU. He's certainly been good, uh, especially when you consider the fact that TCU hasn't exactly been fantastic on offense the last few years. Um, but he's going to have to fight off Chandler Morris, who certainly flashed in spots. Uh, look at 461 passing yards with three touchdowns against a very good Baylor defense. Uh, definitely shine there. Uh, both guys have had injuries uh, in the past, have had some issues staying uh, healthy, but they should be able to to kind of come back and make for a really good quarterback competition. Running back, I think, is going to be the interesting one for TCU. They lose the explosive Zach Evans. He decided to commit to his 50th school all time and play at Old Miss. <laughs> um, if you've never followed his recruiting story, it's it's like a novel. So go ahead and have fun going and looking through that one. Um, but they do bring back Keandre Miller. He comes back, and he actually had a higher average yard per rush than Evans did down the stretch on more rushes, too. So uh, should be looking to capitalize on that opportunity to be the lead back this year. They also have Amari DiMarcato. Uh, he's been a good contributor over the last four years for the Horn Frogs. Hasn't quite flashed that top-end ability yet. as kind of a pedestrian sort of role-player type of guy. Uh, they've also added Imani Bailey from Louisiana. He had 6.3 yards per carry for the Raging Cajuns last year. So an interesting mix in that backfield uh, really is going to make for some interesting opportunities there to see who decides, you know, they're going to step up and be the lead back. Uh, certainly Miller seems to be the guy who's going to do that, but there's going to be a lot of opportunities there because this coaching staff has come out and said they want to be physical. They want to run the ball. That's the, what they want to start doing. So, uh, plenty of opportunities there uh, for that running back stable. The best player on their offense, though, is probably wide receiver Quentin Johnston. Some guys have pegged him as a first-round grade for next year's draft, and it's not really hard to see why. He's 6'4", 212. Uh, he was an all-Big 12 guy last year. He's a sizable wideout, great athleticism, uh, and he's dangerous with the ball in his hands. He's very explosive. He can make stuff happen in the open field, definitely does well kind of making a guy miss on a curl route. Um, and he's just got that work ethic that coaches dream about. They've been raving about that in the program. Uh, he's going to pair up with a couple of really good slot options with plenty of experience. They've got Tay Barber and Darius Davis. Uh, and, and one of those, you know, outside wide receiver spots is going to have to get filled by somebody in this sort of muddled group. But they did sign a guy named Jordan Hudson. He's a top 100 recruit. And he's going to be really hard to keep off the field. I wouldn't be surprised to see him slot in there at that third wide receiver spot on the outside. Uh, and so this wide receiver group should be a sort of surprising strength for TCU this year. 
this offensive line should be a strength as well. They bring back a lot of experience in offensive tackle. Andrew Coker, center Steve Avila, and they are bringing Alan Ali over from SMU as well. Uh, the other couple spots are going to be filled by a mix of younger talent. Uh, they brought in a couple transfers from Arizona State and UConn, so there should be plenty of guys there to plug up the rest of the line. It should be a really strong group and a lot of room to grow throughout the season. Uh, with the right group, this could blossom into a very, very good offensive line unit uh, and kind of help this offense get off the ground and start to replicate some of that success that they had over at SMU. Uh, flipping over to the defense, they got another new defensive coordinator, Joe Gillespie. He's from Tulsa, and he's going to run the 3-3-5 in the Big 12, and I am here for it. I love the 3-3-5 in the Big 12. It's not the answer to everything, but in the Big 12, I think it really works with what you want to do to kind of scheme some of these offenses out with that extra DB. Um, given the fact that TCU finished 118th last year with 34.9 points per game allowed, uh, it's time to try something new anyways, right? Get a new scheme in there. Let's shift it around and let's figure out how to get this Horn Frog defense back to being a good unit. Uh, you have Sonny Misi, 6'2", 3'12". He's the nose tackle. He's kind of one of the only nose tackles they have on that campus. Apparently, when they walked in the room, guys, they looked around and they said, man, where's our nose tackles? And there was really only one or two guys that they could point to and say that guy could fill that spot. So uh, Sonny Misi, he's going to have a big job this year, kind of just getting double teamed, being physical, clogging up the middle. Uh, and he's got to do that well if TC is going to have any success. Uh, he's going to be joined on that defensive line by Dylan Horton at defensive end. He's been really good with the new staff. They really like him. Uh, and then veteran Terrell Cooper adds some versatility to the group. He can play up and down the line, so he can kind of slide whichever slot he wants to be in. Um, and he's probably going to fill out as that third starter on that defensive line. TCU's in a really, really good spot at linebacker. D. Winters, last year's leading tackler, probably plays uh, in there as the star spot, and he's going to look to continue to be the leader on this linebacker spot. Navy transfer Johnny Hodges, huge get. Uh, in the portal, and he's going to be probably your middle linebacker. Jamoy Hodge, he's a solid contributor, former five-star Marcel Brooks. He was from LSU. He transferred in. He's been kind of flipping back and forth between wide receiver and linebacker, uh, and we're going to have to kind of look and see if he's going to figure that out. But it looks like he's settling down at linebacker, and he'll probably end up playing in that room. Uh, he'll be a really good contributor there. They also have some really good depth. They got a guy, Shadrach Banks. He's a converted wide receiver as well. And then they have Longhorn transfer Terrence Cooks the second. Uh, he'll be a good addition to that linebacker room as well. So plenty of experience coming back in that linebacker room. Uh, just kind of want to see how they fit to the scheme. Uh, DBs are going to be the star of the show, though, in this 3-3-5. Uh, and there's some very, very good athletes on the back end for the Horn Frogs. They have corner Travius Hodges Tomlinson. He's probably the best player on this entire defense, maybe on the whole team. Uh, he's coming off an all-Big 12 campaign that saw him not give up a touchdown in 11 of 12 games. This guy's a lockdown corner, and that's the guy that you want if he's going to make things a lot easier for this defense. Uh, he's going to be very, very big for this defense, uh, and especially when you're thinking about some of the guys that are coming back on some of these offenses. You know, you think about Texas bringing back Xavier Worthy. You're really thinking about having to lock down some very good athletes. So having Travius in your room, definitely something you want. Uh, the other quarterback spot is going to be up for grabs uh, between a couple of guys that have experience. They have a very good transfer coming in from Mizzou. Uh, so we'll see who fills that spot as well. Back end also brings in a veteran from Colorado. His name's Mark Perry. Uh, I think he started a bunch of games with them as well. He's going along with Nook Bradford, Bud Clark, Abraham Kamara. Uh, one of those guys is going to have to step up pretty big, play that nickel spot. And then the rest are going to just kind of fill out the safety spots and they're going to roll from there. 
Uh, floor ceiling, uh, their over-under this year is six and a half. I'm thinking a little bit under. You know, they're bringing back a lot. But there's some potent teams that are bringing back more star power this year. And I think under year one, you'd want to see a little bit more star power from a team like this. You know, a couple of guys you can kind of lean on to be guys you can count on in those big games. And I just don't know that we're quite there yet with TCU. Their ceiling is probably nine and three if everything goes right. They can honestly come out. And if a few of these schools get exposed as frauds, they have the talent to go out there and play a bunch of teams out. Um, but it's probably more likely that they're going to barely miss their over-under, you know, hit like five or six wins. Um, their danger zone. You got to look at the beginning of November. Uh, we're looking at TC playing Tech, and then they go at Texas and at Baylor. That's a couple tough games on the road at the end of the season that they're really going to have to nail if they want to kind of pull this first year under Sonny Dykes uh, together for a good year. They've also got an unbelievably tough back-to-back playing Sunny Dyke's old team in the battle of the iron skillet at SMU. I think that's a game we're going to try to be at uh, this year. And then following that up with hosting Oklahoma, that's a tough back-to-back. That is a tough one too. Yep. Yeah. You know, the thing that's interesting for me with TCU is they were horrific on defense last year. And that's what got Gary Patterson fired. That's been their entire identity, right? I mean, Gary Patterson has been TCU football for the last 20 years, and TCU football was known for how well they played defense, for how well they executed the 3-3-5, the zone scheme, and it just didn't work last year. And so not only is Sonny Dice coming in and bringing hopefully a little bit more offense to it and, and recruiting a little bit better on that side of the ball, but he's also got a chance to kind of redefine what TCU football means on the defensive side. So, you know, I think this year is going to be they, – they, they could really, really take some lumps this season, much like Iowa State. But I do think the future is very bright in Fort Worth. It's a program that is dedicated to athletics. You know, they they, they lost Jim Slosnagel in baseball as well. So the, the athletic department really had to sit down and, and decide, okay, where are we going as an organization? And so this year may be a little bit of – uh, there may be some growing pains, but I do like where TCU's ultimately heading. Well, and another thing, too, is Sonny Dykes, apparently, when he came in, he had talked about how Patterson had done a lot of things well, and he had, I think he praised his toughness a lot and sort of the toughness of the team and the program. Sure. But apparently, he came in and just was, you know, shocked by how bad a lot of the supports were and a lot of the facilities and a lot of the the mental health and the recovering and stuff like that. And so uh, he went really hard in to try to get some of this revamped. And I think as he has more time, he'll be able to kind of revamp this a lot better, get the team in better physical condition to play what he wants to do. But yeah, man, it's just, it's going to be a little while before that happens. And I think it's the perfect time to be doing this, you know, with sort of Texas and Oklahoma out the door, they're, you know, heading out and you're going to have a new conference, new opponents. It's going to be kind of a good time to start making these adjustments. So hopefully when this new conference happens, you can start to kind of rise up to the top and be one of the better teams. Sure. All right. Well, from Gary Patterson's former home to his current home, uh, Trey, you've got the most polarizing team in this entire conference. All gas, no breaks. Last year it was all breaks, no gas. The Texas Longhorns are next up. Oh boy. Uh, also, just side note, seeing Gary Patterson in burn orange is like some weird, bizarro, upside down. It's like, a, 
It's like a bad yeah. Photoshop and then you realize it's real. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever get used to that. But looking at the Texas Longhorns in 2022, you can't do that without just kind of building a little bit of context. And what a decade plus it's been on the 40 acres. Um, if you're even a casual fan of the game, you know the story. It largely centers around two words. Say the line, Bart. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Yay! I was wondering when that drop was What back. a remarkable drop. It, uh, it will be here as long as we need it to be here, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> but I know if you're a Texas fan, you were tired of hearing that joke. But, man, it's just, it, it's, it's low-hanging fruit for a reason. Because um, ever since the last time you were in a national championship game, it's been just turmoil. It's been drama. It's been one thing after another that just can't get your feet under it. For a program that, you know, should be doing a lot better than it has for the last decade. And I'm not saying anything that you don't already know if you're a Texas fan. And this year does look like the start of what could be a brighter future. So, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, he's coming into his second year after replacing Tom Herman. That first year could basically be described as chaotic. You had a QB controversy. You had viral videos of coaches on the team bus just laying into the team. You had a monkey getting involved and biting a kid. You knew I wasn't going to not bring that up. Um, mm. But in all seriousness, a step forward this year would literally just be reigning in that drama and taking a step forward in a win total. Like that is a successful season. That would be a huge step forward in Austin. But the problem is drama and attention comes with the territory of being in charge in Austin and fan expectations are championships and expectation isn't just eight wins. They ran off Tom Herman for only winning seven to eight games a year, even though he was winning that consistently and even got Texas to a new year six bowl. The good news, if you're a Longhorn fan, you know, recruiting's taking off. Obviously this 2023 class is looking really special. Texas has always had talent though. Um, 2022 has to be better, maybe even elite for Texas to put last year's disaster behind them. You can blame a lot of that season on different people or circumstances, but the bottom line is Sark's the guy that's going to be held responsible for that. And if things aren't significantly better, he's going to be the one that is on the chopping block for that. So they brought in 35 new scholarship players this year because they know that this is a big make or break year for the perception of that program. And on offense, of course, you know, it all is going to start with the quarterback battle that I'll talk about in just a second. But just closing the book on 2021, at least for the offense, you know, it wasn't bad. It was just really inconsistent. They would look unstoppable scoring 70 against Tech. And then they turned around later in the season, only put up seven when they went to Ames. So because of that, that just kind of launched a QB carousel. Talk about a QB carousel within the whole of college football. There was a huge one just within the program in Austin. So, of course, if you follow the, the sport closely, you know the story by now. Quinn Ewers, former perfectly rated five-star out of South Lake Carroll, he originally committed to the Longhorns in high school, decommitted, reclassified, enrolled in early year in Ohio State last fall. But then by just four months in Columbus, he transferred out and he's back in Austin. Casey Thompson, the guy that started 10 games for him last fall, is now the starter at Nebraska. And Hudson Card, the guy that started the first two games last year is back to compete with viewers for that starting job. So 
I'm personally operating under the assumption that Ewers is the choice. I don't think that he would have made that move from Columbus if there weren't some, you know, some sort of agreement that he's going to get at least a really good shot at that first, at taking those first team reps. Um, so unless he just looks absolutely hapless at practice, um, I think it's going to be Quinn Ewers. And all reports seem to indicate that that's not the case. He hasn't seen meaningful action in a while. We saw him in his last real meaningful action in a game, all three of us personally, when he faced uh, Cade Klubnik and Austin Westlake for a state title. So shaking off that in-game rust is going to be key. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to be rusty, right? Like, I mean, he he had two handoffs last year at Ohio State. Getting those jitters, getting that in-game rust off is going to be key. He has all the accolades, though. He has a lot of tools. He has a cannon for an arm. He's really accurate. I'm really excited to see if it can translate to leading a D1 offense. Um, whoever wins that battle, I'm again, I'm assuming it's going to be Quinn. If it's Quinn or Card or whoever, they're going to have to grow up fast because Alabama's coming calling in week two, and it doesn't get more difficult than that. Um, so they have to be hitting. Uh, overall, they just really need to find someone who can hit the deep ball well. That's what makes Sark's offense go. Didn't get a good production on that last year, and you saw the results of that. It was a very inconsistent offense. When they hit the deep ball, they're scoring a lot of points. When they're not, when it's inconsistent, they're not doing very well. So... The strength of the offense, you know, as it has been in the past decade plus, is at the skill position, especially at running back. Bijan Robinson is a legit Heisman contender if this team can get to where they want to be. Um, he's probably a second rounder at worst next April in the NFL draft. And I mean, one last shot at Tom Herman, his underutilization when he first arrived on campus is probably literally the reason that Tom Herman is no longer the coach. Criminal. Um, if I'm Sark. I'm trying to get him 20 to 22 to 25 touches a game. He got 22, a little over 22 a game last year. I think if Texas is going to be successful, that needs to be up around 25. He's your best player. You need to feed him and you need to have your offense run through him. The stable behind him is loaded as well. That's another reason that you can kind of lean on Bijan is even if he gets hurt, there's a ton of talent in that room with Rashawn Johnson and uh, Keelan Robinson. They're both great compliments. They also have young guys, Jonathan Brooks and freshman Jalen Blue, a couple of blue chip recruits there at that position. They're fine at running back. It's not going to be a problem for them. At wide receiver, Xavier Worthy is the big story, of course. He bursts onto the scene last year as all-conference and freshman All-American. Behind him, though, they've had a mass exodus at wide receiver, and they brought in some guys to help with that. I'm a little concerned. I think the top, don't hear what I'm not saying, Longhorn fans. Like you have a lot of receiver talent in this room. It's going to be a scary unit. But if a couple of those guys get hurt, you're not looking so great in the two deep and the three deep behind those guys. And most programs can probably say that, but just a mass exodus. I think they had six guys transfer out or get kicked off the team since last fall. And you know, they brought in guys like uh, Jordan Whittington is definitely going to have to be a, play a big role. He needs to stay healthy this year. They brought in transfers, uh, Isaiah Nair from Wyoming, and of course, uh, Jai Hall from Alabama, the much heralded guy coming over from the SEC. And they also have Brennan Thompson as a true freshman that I think is going to have to step up. So like I said, the top of that room is probably the best in the conference, and it's up there with the best wide receiver rooms in the nation. but 
you start catching the injury bug there, it could get really ugly really fast. You're reliving on some very green options. So another guy that's going to help, I think, will step up this year. Jatavian Sanders is a former five-star manning the tight end position. They want to move him all around the field, though, in line with the O-line, out wide. They want to do a lot of stuff with him. Um, but the biggest question, as it has been for almost a decade, is what is this offensive line going to look like? Uh, the short answer is freshmen are and freshmen plural are going to have to step up. So they signed six blue chip prospects in the O-line in uh, 2022, led by Devon Campbell and Kelvin Banks. They returned three starters, but those were all three guys that didn't really play consistently last year. They struggled to open up holes. It was mostly Bijan doing all the work to get that running game going, and quarterbacks were on their back a lot when they played better pass rushers. It's a red flag, and for me to really buy in on this offense, I need to see those freshmen if they're going to step up. I mean, I could honestly, by midseason, see as many as four freshmen getting meaningful playing time i don't think that's out of the question that's a little scary if you're a longhorn fan you those guys are gonna have to learn quickly again will anderson is waiting for you week two and that's not gonna be a fun uh test for those freshmen so overall on offense it's kind of the same story there's gonna be better quarterback play this year really good skill talent but if the o-line doesn't come together you know, it's going to be that Joe Burrow meme of throwing to Jamar Chase, but no one is uh, blocking for him. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think, I think having that step up in quarterback play is going to be a big factor in getting them back closer to where they want to be, but there's still a lot of question marks over there. Um, over on defense, just put very simply, it has to be better. Um, they rank 99th in scoring defense, a hundredth in total defense. 114th in rush defense and 62nd in pass defense. 62nd doesn't seem so bad, but that's literally because everyone was just running all the time on the Longhorns. Um, improvement has to start with being better against the run. They gave up over five yards of carry last year. Um, they bring back six defensive linemen, but they really all need to step up. They want to rotate the defensive tackles more and have a strength in numbers approach. They did bring in some young guys, uh, through the recruiting class that I think could help them out there. They also just really have to get better at making plays behind the line of scrimmage. They struggled to tackle. They struggled to wrap up and they really struggled for those big havoc plays um, behind the line of scrimmage that set other offenses back offenses back. Um, their leading tackle for lost guy had five and a half last year. Their leading sack guy had two and a half. So um, Ovio Ogiofo, um, is that leading tackle for lost guy? He's going to be a starter at edge and their just production as a team has to get better. I think you could see the four-star freshman Jamon tap and justice uh, Finkley get a lot of chances to see what they can do on passing downs this year too. Before you completely move off defense, just wanted to add one other thing to their list of, of statistical struggles. 94th in the country last year in third down defense. They gave up yeah. third down conversions at a 42% clip, which is, it's just got to get better. We, we talked about that. I'd forgotten with which team in the ACC, but I mean, dude, if you're allowing first down conversions, even close to half the time, you're not winning football games. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just any key stat you want to look at the Longhorns probably struggled in it last year. Like it was, yeah. Like generating pressure, stopping the run, 
getting off the field. It was all just snowballed for them, especially in that six-game losing streak. So just really quickly through the rest of their defense, consistency is going to be the key at linebacker. DeMarvin Overshone is an amazing talent. He just has to be more consistent. He just disappears for stretches and has to be that guy that can take over games and lead that defense. Luke Brockmeyer is back to man the middle linebacker position. They're really excited about Diamante Tucker Dorsey, who comes over from James Madison. He was an FCS All-American last year who had gaudy stats. So I think that's a guy that could provide a lot more consistency and maybe some more havoc plays that can turn those games more in the favor. Just like I kind of mentioned from with Baylor, they're trying to figure stuff out in the secondary. And that's kind of a recurring theme I'm hearing from everybody as they look into their teams. But uh, Deshaun Jameson is the only guy staying in his starting spot from last year. They've got Ryan Watts coming over from Ohio State to probably man that other corner spot. Um, after that, it's a ton of youth and tinkering. Uh, John DeBaron is moving from corner to star. Anthony Cook is moving from star to safety. Uh, Katon Crawford moved from corner to safety. It's just, Easy where can we find? It's it's just tinkering and masterminding, trying to find where these guys can fit and be um, successful. So lots of pieces, putting them in the right place is going to be key. Um, as for their floor and ceiling, Vegas over under is eight and a half. Um, I have a really hard time seeing that over. Um, that doesn't mean they can't be much improved. They're Obviously, I think it would be almost impossible to not be improved from last year. Odds are there's not another six-game losing streak, right? Um, I have them probably topping out at nine and three. I think Quinn is an amazing talent. He's still a freshman that has never played meaningful college football. He's going to take his lumps this year. And even if he is a freshman All-American, the odds that he doesn't have an uh oh game or an oopsie game or something like that is... Very, very low. So I have them topping out probably at nine and three. I I think their absolute floor is probably barely making a bowl. Um, but if the quarterback play and the O line and rush defense continue, yeah, it's it's they're gonna be fighting for that bowl eligibility in November. Um their danger zone. Obviously, I've mentioned a couple times that Bama game in week two, that's huge, but Tough back-to-back, uh, or tough four-week stretch, excuse me, um, from week six through week 10. They have, of course, the Red River rivalry in Dallas against Oklahoma. They return home to face Iowa State week seven. Week eight, they're at Oklahoma State. And then after a bye, week 10, they're at Kansas State. So that Oklahoma State, Kansas State, back-to-back with a bye sandwich in between. Tough. Going to define the season for the Longhorns. Go 2-0 yeah. and o there, and you're realistically looking at a big 12 title game appearance. And if you go one and one or Oh, and two, you're hoping for next year for that championship. Well, and that doesn't even take into account a road game at Lubbock, probably a night game week four. Um, You know, there are landmines all around this. So looking at our conference predictions, I appear to be, well, Trey and I both have the Longhorns going eight and four. I really debated nine and three for Texas. I agree. I think that's kind of their ceiling for all the reasons that you outlined. Um, that end of the schedule is just so tough. You know, then you've got TCU coming to town. Look, I'm not trying to poke fun at Texas, but you have some trouble with Kansas, even in Lawrence. And then you've got Baylor to finish out the season. Yeah, it's at home, but, you know, we'll see 
what Baylor is by the end of the season there. And look, the last couple of seasons, Texas has been beaten down and defeated by the end of the year. And, you know, last year it certainly felt like they quit. Um, I was fully picking Kansas State to win that game and, and Texas to go 4-8. and eight. That offense, I think, could be one of the best in the country if the offensive line can can survive, and if Quinn Ewers is built, you know, if he delivers what he's what he's built to be. The the one concern that I've heard is maybe he's not understanding the playbook quite as quickly as they want him to. Now that was a, that was a an older report. That's at least a month old, so that's that's not anything that I'm basing my predictions off of. That defense, though. Look, they're gonna have to prove it. They they've been so bad for so long that until they take that next step, I'll be late to the party on that because I just they've always had the talent, right? I mean, they're always gonna. It's it, it's never been a talent issue for Texas. No, it's never if you been look a at recruiting issue. rankings. I, you know, the the maybe the most meme stat in all of the NFL draft was that you know there's what 270 something players taken in the NFL draft, and none of them were Texas Longhorns this year. So the development has been an issue. That being said. I'm always higher on the Longhorns than it seems like a lot of my contemporaries are. I picked them to go, I think, 9-3 and three last year and clearly was not even close. So, you know, I always will believe that, that talent eventually wins out. And it certainly seems like Sark is turning the ship around. I know last year was a blight on the, the record and, and a terrible time to be on the 40 acres. But you look at how he's recruiting. You, you look at the system that he seems to be installing on offense. That's going to work, in my opinion. It's just, can that defense actually be average? They don't even have to be good. They just have to be average. And you're going to be threatening to win 10 games you know, this year, next year, uh, as your last two seasons in the Big 12. You go to the SEC, average won't get you by. Uh, we know that firsthand. So one step at a time, though. Texas, I think, is on the right track. I don't see... I don't see a six and six in them this year. I don't see any sort of repeat of last year. I, I truly feel like eight and four is, is, is a pretty safe zone. And, and for me, that's with losses to Bama, to Oklahoma State, to Kansas, you know, kind of representing a team that maybe they shouldn't lose to and to Baylor at the end of the year. I think it's very easy to find four losses on that schedule. I also think it's very easy to find 10 wins on that schedule if they get rolling. Yeah, my biggest issue with Texas here, and I don't want to come across as like a Texas hater, but my biggest issue with Texas is really just the culture. It really doesn't have anything to do. They didn't lose six games because they were bad. They didn't lose six games in a row because, you know, they just had no talent on the field and they were getting out talented by the guys across for them or that the coaches were doing just such a poor job in game scheming their ways around things. I think they're just kind of, they got a little bit of loser's limp in the locker room. You know, it's easy to get on a little bit of a skid. And especially, you know, with the the massive comeback for Oklahoma and that rivalry game, it's easy to get a little bit of loser's limp and kind of, you know, start to limp around and, oh, well, it was your fault and I had my guy. And you can kind of argue with each other a little bit. And I think, you know, given some of the stories that we heard from last year, that's kind of what was going on. And so my biggest, you know, star, you know, asterisk next to their, you know, prediction this year is if Sark can get the culture right, I think this is a good enough team to win the conference. I just don't know how quickly he can get the culture right, considering, I mean, he's got some guys coming in, certainly that should help. Um, But there were a little bit of, you know, concerns with how they worked in previous locker rooms. Maybe this is the right fit for them. 
Um, but maybe this just kind of brings in a little bit more, you know, issue with what's going on there. And so, you know, I, I, I personally have them going seven and five, taking a, a bit of a step forward. Um, again, kind of reasons you guys gave Quinn. He's young. He's really good, but it might take him a little bit to get adjusted. There's some good offenses in this conference like we've been talking about. And so, you know, is that defense going to be manageable? But more than any of that, it's just what happens when they start to skid, right? What if in the middle of that, you know, you know, danger zone we were talking about, you know, they lose to OU and then Iowa State, maybe they pull out a close win and then they go lost to Oklahoma State, lost to Kansas State. You know, those are two tough road games. If they lose both of those, they could start pointing fingers and we could start having drama again, right? So my biggest issue really with where the Longhorns are is I don't know how that culture is right now. I don't know how the locker room is. It seems like they're buying into what Sark's doing, but is that going to be enough to help them through a tough stretch if it were to present itself this year? Do you yeah, guys, and I think – go ahead, Mitch. Oh, I was going to say just yes or no. Do you guys have them beating Oklahoma this year? No. No, I do not. Okay. I, I think you're right on, Garrett, in saying, you know, that second half of the Oklahoma game broke them last year just mentally. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing, just, you know, chalk this up to whatever you want, but when Sark is talking to Sam Khan of the Athletic for their kind of stay the program story uh, over there, he was really, really big on um, the team culture kind of being a result of them being scattered from their stadium remodel, like their football facility was getting redone. And so they were just all over the place. Like he had an office on the seventh floor of the stadium. And like, you can say that he's blaming and kind of grasping at straws. If you want, I do think there's a little bit of legitimacy to that. Sure. Does it justify five said. and seven? No, not <laughs> in and of itself, but you know, I, I think they do have, he, he's very high on that culture coming together quicker this year. So, that's a big hope if you're a Texas fan too. I'm right there with you. And I think it's deeper than probably a stadium renovation, right. but Sark well, isn't well, going to stop the Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I think the culture is going to be as bad as it was last year. I'm saying if it isn't fixed enough, you could still see the chemistry break down. And then once the chemistry breaks, you lose the locker room and it's not like a, a sliding scale. It's yes or no with locker yeah. room chemistry. I mean, if you've been in a locker room before, you know that if the team's working, if you're on the same page, things are good, even if you're bad, right? Even if you're not a great team, if you're on the same page, things in the locker room are good. And if you're not on the same page, things are bad and your season can go down the drain real quick. I mean, look, they're the University of Texas, right? They're they're a flagship program. They're the, the New York Yankees. They're the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Like everybody has some sort of opinion on them, whether they're winning or they're losing. And, you know, if you're not a Texas Longhorn fan, you're probably rooting against them. And so there, there is a lot of pressure that comes with being a Longhorn. And when things go, go bad, we've seen they, that program does tend to spiral maybe faster than some others, but at the same time you catch, catch lightning in a bottle and it could do the exact opposite. And you could see, <clears throat> excuse me, that team do, do something really, really special. So I've got the Oklahoma preview coming out later this week. Uh, I do want to talk more about the Oklahoma-Texas dynamic, but we'll do it then. Let's wrap up this show with the Texas Tech preview. Um, state of the program for Tech, I think, is as positive as it's been in a long, long time. The, the Red Raiders are one of the most lovable enigmas in college football, at least in my opinion. Uh, they've got the air raid, flashy quarterback play, and a total lack of defense. Those are the hallmarks of Texas Tech football over the years, right? I mean, just score as many points as you can possibly 
can because you're going to win by one or two when the other team scores 65 with you. Um, they're off the heels of their first bowl appearance since 2017 and their first bowl win since 2013. And, of course, the new head man is Joey McGuire in Lubbock. He's been brought in from Baylor really to take Tech from the next level. Matt Wells was dismissed midseason last year, even though he's 5-3. and three. I think the, the absolute rock bottom moment was during the weekly coaches show when the host asked Coach Wells like what his favorite part of Lubbock was, and he literally did not name anything. He couldn't – it was dead air. He just couldn't name mm. something that he loved about Lubbock, and that was the problem. They, they hired Matt from Utah State. He had no connections to West Texas. He had no connections to Lubbock, and not necessarily that Joey does, but Joey's a Texas guy. Right, a legend in the high school coaching rank scene. You know, my involvement with him, I've never met him, but you can't help but hear about Joey Mack in, in Cedar Hill uh, when you're covering and broadcasting Texas high school football, like I did for a couple of years. So he brings a vibe to Texas Tech that they've wanted in their program. I mean, Texas Tech clearly an athletic department on the rise. Their, their Matador Club just announced NIL deals of $25,000 for 85 all scholarship players on the football team, plus 10 walk-ons. They're doing $200 million of renovations to their football stadium. The program is taking off, and they think Joey Mack is, is the guy to, to get the performance out of that as well. Look, this year, it's all about starting to translate off-field passion into on-field success. Offensively, the Red Raiders have brought in Air Raid legend and tech alums at Kitley. His dad, Wes Kitley, is a Red Raider legend. He's going to engineer the offense going forward. Kitley nearly upset Texas Tech as the head coach of Houston Baptist in 2020 uh, when they lost 35-33. And I mean, they gave the Red Raiders an absolute scare. I remember watching that game with my dad. And uh, my dad, who, who went to Texas Tech, was that was the most nervous I've seen him about a Texas Tech game in a long time. And again, Tech doesn't win, hasn't won a lot, so he's not normally nervous for those games. But an FCS opponent, whole different story. Uh, then last season, Kitley goes to, to Western Kentucky. He brings Bailey Zappi along with him. They lead the country in passing yards. I think it was like 425 yards on average per game. So Tech has a genius in uh, their offensive coordinator. At quarterback, the Red Raiders will have to decide between three guys, Tyler Shuck, Donovan Smith, and Baron Morton. Shuck transferred in from Oregon last year, and he started the first four games before he broke his collarbone. Donovan Smith started the final four games last year, and he showed incredible flashes. He's, he's a freak athlete. Uh, Baron Morton is the highest-rated quarterback recruit in modern tech history. He was a redshirt last year and just got to watch as the Red Raiders went to a bowl game. This year, he's had a chance to, to show what he can bring in, in practice, and, and the Red Raiders absolutely love his potential, whether it's this year or down the line. Still yet to be seen. I don't think they're going to end up choosing him, but uh, he's he's what Connor Wegman is to Texas A&M uh, there in Lubbock. He's the future. He's he's the highest-rated quarterback that they've ever brought in. The hopes are, are certainly on his shoulders. Shuck is experienced and knows the playbook the best. Uh, he's been described as a genius by Kitley and the staff when it comes to diagnosing the offense. Donovan Smith, he's the freak athlete. He's six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds, and runs like the wind. They said that in the spring, his GPS monitor clocked him at 21 miles an hour in uh, in sprints, so the kid can move. Ooh, and he's to play defensive end. Goodness. Yeah, I was gonna say. Listen, like me at, at 
you know, all five foot nine. I cannot imagine trying to step in front of that man and tackle him. So, you know, good luck to, to Big 12 defenses. Um, and then and Morton doesn't have the experience, grasp the playbook, any, any of the on-field accolades yet, right? But coaching staff also says he has the best arm of the group. So, again, probably not this year, but the future's looking bright. Uh, so they'll have to choose a starting quarterback. They haven't made that decision yet. Didn't, didn't pick a guy out of spring ball. I think it's going to be Shuck just because he's a fifth or sixth year senior. He's, he's been around the block, but Donovan Smith, uh, he's probably the most fun to watch at the quarterback position. So maybe you'll see both. I don't know. Tech's got to make that decision running back. They've got a couple of, of very experienced guys, fifth year senior, Sir Roderick Thompson and Taj Brooks are leading the backfield. Both guys bring a wealth of experience to the field, including uh, last year they recorded over 1,000 combined yards and 17 touchdowns in 2021. Red Raiders obviously are known for the air raid, passing the ball, but Kitley says we're going to run the ball this year, so expect him to lean heavily on that duo. Out wide, Tech has got a smorgasbord of guys. Junior Mile Price is hopefully a national name that's going to emerge in the slot. Uh, he's got great hands, the ability to run the entire route tree, Kitley raves about his ability to make the big play, and he said he's a guy that you specifically game plan to get the ball in his hands. Um, size also definitely an advantage for Tech on the outside. They've got Jaron Bradley, six foot five, who starred in the Liberty Bowl win over Mississippi State. JJ Sparkman, who's six four. Loke Fonajoy, who's six foot four, all competing for kind of receivers one and two. Right? They they don't know exactly who's going to take the reins there, but a uh, bunch of big-bodied receivers out wide. Don't forget Brady Boyd. He transferred back to the Lone Star State after a year at Minnesota. He was Quinn Ewer's favorite target at South Lake Carroll. There was a lot of talk, a lot of, a lot of smoke, that Ewers and Boyd were going to Tech together. And that was not just a rumor. There was legitimate interest from Ewers and his camp uh, in going to Lubbock. Obviously, he ends up going to Texas. Boyd goes to Texas Tech. Uh, so Boyd will compete in the slot along with Cody Eakin, who set the state high school record for receiving yards in the slot at um, Stephenville last year. So some some fun guys that, that Tech has to play around with. Tight end position that they could use more in 2022. Mason Tharp is six foot nine and a fantastic receiver. Henry Teeters, the blocker of the group. And then they have Baylor Cup, former top tight end prospect in the state who transferred in from Texas A&M. Uh, Cup is a guy that draws a lot of NFL comparisons and projections, but he's just never been healthy. He's, he's never really gotten on the field in College Station, so hopefully a fresh start for him in Lubbock is, is exactly what he needs. Uh, on the line, this is probably the area of most concern. It's a bunch of new pieces that need to be stitched together, so a lot of experience, but just literally from different walks of life. Uh, Caleb Rogers will start at left tackle. He started all 13 games at right tackle for the Red Raiders last season. After that, it is wide open. You've got Western Kentucky transfer Cole Spencer, who's hoping to start at the left guard spot. The center is still up for grabs between junior college transfer Dennis Wilburn and New Mexico transfer Cade Briggs. Monroe Mills transfers in from Oklahoma State. He's battling at the right tackle spot with Ty Buchanan, who transfers in from USC. It's a ton of talent. But literally, like, all roads lead to Lubbock, evidently, on the offensive line. So, you know, McGuire and Kitley have, have some decisions to make there. I'm, I think after a couple of games, that offensive line has a really good chance to gel just because each of these guys has played well 
in their individual stops. Now it's just, can they work collectively as a unit to keep whoever they go with at quarterback upright? Uh, defensively, McGuire's known for his defense. He was a defensive guy at Cedar Hill. He was a defensive specialist at Baylor as the associate head coach. Red Raiders are hoping he ultimately elevates the performance of this defense. His first move was bringing back Tim DeRuiter to the state of Texas. Uh, Tim, very well known in the college football circles. He's coached for over 30 years. Most notably uh, here in Texas was the, the defensive coordinator for Texas A&M back when Von Miller was was making his name in College Station and, and tearing quarterbacks apart. Red Raiders have quite a bit to improve on. Their defense ranked 86th in total defense a season ago. They allowed nearly six yards per play and over 405 yards per game. Um, so when you think about that as an average, that is really unhealthy and uh, certainly needs to come down if they want to you know, start thinking about winning eight, nine games. Tech's also going to base out of a 3-3-5 this season, and as you guys have talked about with multiple other stops, they're going to employ that star, nickel, outside linebacker safety hybrid uh, as well. Up front, former Texas A&M transfer Tyree Wilson is back for his senior year. He led the team with 13.5 tackles for loss last year and seven sacks as well. Uh, Wilson, because of that play last season, is being viewed as a legitimate NFL draft prospect, which Tech does not get on the defensive line. That has not been their calling card. They've sent some linebackers and some DBs to the, to the league, but defensive line, as far as you know, my memory goes, it, it's been few and far between. So Wilson, without a doubt, they, the game-breaking talent there. The other edge is manned by Josiah Pierre, a Florida transfer who can do it all, good at setting the edge, good at getting to the passer. Tech feels like they've got two three-down edges uh, in, in Wilson and, and Pierre. Inside, Philip Blitty and Arkansas State transfer Vidal Scott are the two big-bodied nose tackles that the Red Raiders believe are poised for nice seasons. Linebacker, the names to know are Creshawn Merriweather and Dimitri Moore. Merriweather's in his sixth season, finished 2021 with 52 tackles and five and a half tackles for loss. And then Moore was a former SEC talent. He's in his third stop. Uh, he was at Vanderbilt. I believe he was at Arkansas State for a spell as well, and now he's uh, he's in Lubbock. Cornerback, it's going to be interesting. Rashad Williams logged almost 800 snaps last year, but he's the only full-time returner out wide at corner. Malik Dunlap appeared in seven games, but he only started two. So he's the favorite to get the other spot, but not a lot of experience there. Safety's certainly much stronger. They've got Reggie Pearson Jr. coming back, along with Dadrian Taylor-Dimerson. Uh, Taylor Dimerson finished second in the Big 12 in passes defended last year with nine. And then they've also got Tyler Owens, who transfers in from Texas to add depth there as well. Really talented kid, just needed a fresh start outside of Austin. He needs to be more true to his scheme and his coverage, but the Red Raiders at least like the athleticism. Floor and ceiling over under for the Red Raiders is very fair. Five and a half, um, basically. Are they, <clears throat> excuse me, are they getting to a bowl game or not? I'm probably higher on the Red Raiders than most. Um, you know, like I said, you, you've heard for years about how well-respected Joey is around the state of Texas, what he does on the defensive side of the ball. That being said, that schedule is brutal. Um, the out the, the non-conference games are crushing. Um, Tech just, I, I don't really see how they find ways to beat Houston, which they magically did last year. So maybe they do at home this year. They play NC State as well on the road. 
Uh, that defense is going to get a baptism by fire to, to mm. Devin Leary and company. So, you know, that's tough. And then they jump right into to Texas and Kansas State and Oklahoma State all before their bye week. So there's a really, really strong chance that the Red Raiders start the season, you know, two and four and are just behind behind the eight ball basically from the beginning. I'm going to say they get to six wins by sheer will. I'm just going to try and put that out and, and hope that the Red Raiders can recover in the second half. But it's going to take beating better teams. It's going to take beating more talented teams and obviously more veteran teams as well. Their ceiling, honestly, is is probably six and six, uh, if I'm being honest. If, if everything goes right, maybe seven and five, but I don't feel that they can do anything more than that. Floor could easily be three and nine. Um, no, no doubt about that. Final danger zone of the night. I gave you kind of the skinny on their beginning part of the schedule, but I'll say that their danger zone for all intents and purposes is weeks eight through 10, uh, week eight versus West Virginia versus Baylor in week nine. And then they go to TCU. If they do start two and four, this is where they got to make up some hay on the back half. I mean, they got to, they got to beat West Virginia and TCU and probably give Baylor a scare if they want to make a bowl game. So you know, fun team. Uh, this is not their year. <laughs> 2022 should probably not be the year of the Red Raider, but I do love where the where the, the program is ultimately going. I love how, how they're recruiting. At one point, they were second in the recruiting rankings, quantity over quality, but still, uh, McGuire's got, got the folks out in Lubbock really, really excited about where this, this team and this program is heading. That stretch into the bye week is just it's insane. It's it, horrific. It could legit... They could be a really good team, like maybe even better than last year, and start one and five. Uh-huh. I, that, like that is that is not out of the question. Houston's going to be much improved. Houston, the only game they 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 went a long win streak after losing to Tech last year. Yeah. NC State's really good. Texas is going to be looking to prove themselves. If if then, Houston doesn't lose to Tech last year in the opener, um, then we might be talking about the Cougars as the American playoff team yeah. instead of Cincinnati. Right. And, and that's what Houston wants to be this year. Yeah. They, and they have the talent to do it. They didn't lose another game in last year until they played Cincinnati. So yeah. man, it, it's, I, I, I want Joey to succeed so badly. I think he will in the long term. but if you're a tech fan, just don't get discouraged about this year. No, yeah. no matter what happens, I, they, they've got to, like you said, find a way in the back half of that schedule because the front half is just absolutely brutal. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, they're going to be a better team. They're going to improve, but it's probably not going to show up in the record. I mean, if you're a Tech fan, if you start somehow 3-3, three and three, you've got to be thrilled about that. You know, you're playing some very good teams and on the road as well. And so, you know, I just – I think if you're a Tech fan – it's time to kind of be excited about the new coach, be excited about where you're going uh, and not get too discouraged by probably a tough start and then a decent end of the season. Now does a good end of the season buy you some goodwill going into the break? Yeah. You'd rather be hot towards the end than, you know, start really hot and then finish really weak. So, you know, maybe the the fact that he's going to be able to, you know, maybe start a little bit slower, but get some steam on that back end that might help closing and recruiting 
that might help closing in terms of national perception as you talk about going into the transfer portal. And I think if you let, you know, Joey McGuire get his hands on this thing for too much longer, he's going to start putting something real good together. So just kind of time to wait on it. And, and you know, it's time to see what ha- what can happen back there in tech. Let's see if we can get back to where Leach had you. Well, write in. Let us know what you think about this first half of the Big 12. Again, no no divisions, obviously, in the Big 12. But just for sake of brevity, we, we didn't want to put the entire Big 12 uh, into one podcast. So next episode, we will do the Oklahoma, the Kansas schools, and West Virginia as well. Really looking forward to diving into you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, can they get back to the Big 12 championship game? What's Kansas State going to do? Um, so anyway, a lot, lot to talk about. Write in. Go follow us on our socials, at uh, 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, let us know where you've got these teams uh, positioned in the Big 12. We'll go through our consensus rankings next episode as well uh, and the superlatives uh, to, to close out the Big 12. But, uh, fellas, Pleasure as always. Great job tonight and uh, looking forward to the next episode as well. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, so long, everybody.